Whether you're traveling for work or fun, everybody loves a deal. Check out Rooms for Vacation for up to 50% off your hotel, resort, Airbnb, car rental, and more. That's Rooms, the number four, vacation.hotelplanner.com. Herman, born as Irvine Groninger III, entered this world into an abusive family. In 1989, when he was just two years old, Adam and his two younger siblings would be removed from that home and placed into the foster care system of Kansas. Those foster parents, Doug and Valerie Herman, would end up adopting Adam. Many trials and tribulations would take place throughout the next several years within the family. The other children in the home will remember how Adam was there one day, but gone the next. Since their life was unstable, anyhow, no one quite knew what was going on behind the closed doors of the Herman family home. In 2008, when a biological sister went looking for Adam, he was nowhere to be found. Finally, a missing persons report is filed and authorities jump into action. Where is Adam Joseph Herman? Hello, and welcome back to the Where Are They podcast. This week's episode is truly unbelievable and sad. Adam Herman was just 11 years old, or maybe 12, when he vanished from Tawanda, Kansas. And that just exemplifies the problem here. We don't even know exactly when this young boy disappeared, so no one can say for sure if he was 11 or 12 years old. I want to put a quick trigger warning out. This story involves a child, possible child abuse, and some other very tragic events that occur during the course of this case, including death and suicide. Please take note if this isn't for you and if you have 
any questions you would like me to just answer via email so you don't have to listen to the whole story, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to discuss or answer any questions for you. Before we dive into his case, I do have a couple quick announcements. A huge welcome to our new patron, Shannon J. from Pennsylvania. Shannon herself works in law enforcement, particularly in cold cases, so we may be able to pick her brain here in the near future. Welcome, Shannon. We are so glad to have you. If you are interested in joining us over on Patreon, I'll go ahead and leave a link in our show notes. Last week, our podcast was picked up by Amazon and Audible, so if you'd like to get your podcast there, we are excited to now be included in their database of podcasts. The goal of our show is to spotlight unsolved missing persons cases, and we'd prefer to cover the cases that did not get enough media exposure, or maybe that had media attention at some point that eventually dwindled. If you know of a case like this that you'd like to see us cover, send me an email at canwefindthem at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram and send me a message there as well. Lastly, a huge thank you to this week's featured partner, which happens to be an app that I have used for a couple of years now, Mercari, the Mercari buying and selling app. Your clutter can find a new home and make you some cash in the process. Take a few pics and then with a few clicks, your item is live and available. Mercari's reach is huge with over 19 million active users. And Mercari has one of the lowest selling fees and easiest shipping steps of all the selling apps out there. Not to mention, if you're looking to buy something in particular, Mercari probably has it. Their search and buy function is just as simple. Download Mercari today. Sign up with the link in our show notes and get a $10 buying credit and a $20 gift when you make your first $100 selling on Mercari. Again, you'll find the link in our show notes and on our social media accounts this week. Okay, now let's jump into the story of Adam Herman. Adam was actually born Irvine Groninger III on June 8, 1987 in Wichita, Kansas. His father was Irvine Groninger II and his mother was Jerry George. Not much is known about the first 18 months of Irvin's life, or Adam as we know him by, but we do know that something happened, and one of the older children in the home had some bruising, which prompted someone to call Child Protective Services. CPS would ultimately remove all the children from the home and put them into the foster care system of Kansas. And I actually want to talk a little bit more about this and I will revisit this topic a little later. Immediately, Adam and his two younger siblings were taken in by the Herman family, Doug and Valerie. Doug and Valerie would start the formal adoption process, although that wouldn't be finalized until 1993. In the meantime, in 1991, the Hermans would lose their foster care license. I'm not sure how they were able to continue fostering the children until the adoption was final. I don't know if maybe it's because the process was already started or maybe that they had just failed to take a required course or something letting their license lapse. 
But I do find it interesting that their foster care license was taken from them two full years before Adam and his siblings' adoption. Meaning for those two years, they did keep foster children in their home without a license. And during this time, the family resided in the town of Derby, Kansas. Derby is a suburb of Wichita located just south of the city. Adam would go on to be enrolled in public school there. In November of 1996, an abuse complaint would be called in and the police would take Adam to a group home while they investigated. The complaint would be labeled as unsubstantiated and Adam would return to the home. In fact, Valerie would admit to CPS that she had indeed spanked Adam with a belt and left bruises. CPS just informed her that that was not appropriate punishment, and Valerie agreed that that would not happen again. She said that Adam was a difficult child and had suffered some form of attachment disorder, making him very hard to manage at times. On January 9th, 1998, another abuse complaint came in, this time from Adam's school. Police start investigating and speak to the family and other educators at the school. Valerie tells police that he was playing with his siblings when he got hurt over Christmas break, and that's why he had visible bruises on him. Another teacher also tells police that they didn't feel Adam was being abused because they thought that if he was, Adam was the kind of kid that would speak up about it and tell somebody. And because of that, the police would drop the case. And man, is that frustrating. And I'm sure that teacher or that school faculty member regrets saying that now if they even know how this all would play out. And I'm hopeful that they just had good intentions when they did say that. But police have said that was the final thing they needed to close the case. Less than a week later, On January 14th, 1998, Adam ran away from home and his parents called the police. But Adam would return on his own about three hours later. And after these incidences in January of 1998, the family pulled the children out of school and moved to Pine Ridge Mobile Home Park in Tawanda, Kansas, where Valerie took a job as a property manager. Tawanda is a northeastern suburb of Wichita, about 30 miles from Derby. And when they moved to Tawanda, all the other children would be enrolled back in school, but Valerie decided to homeschool Adam, saying that he really needed the one-on-one attention from her. Valerie also said that during that year, the year of 1998, Adam would run away from home several times, but he would always come back after a couple of hours on his own. So with Adam out of school, this is when details become a little murky and we have to take the word of some family members on what happened. We know that on January 9th, 1999, the Hermans had a relative over to watch the Super Bowl that day. We will learn many years later, mind you, but we will learn that Adam was seen by this relative that day handcuffed to the bathtub in the bathroom. When Valerie, again years later, is questioned about this, she said it was for Adam's safety as well as the family's safety because Adam would become so violent. 
On an unknown date after that, the siblings notice that Adam is no longer there. And when they ask their parents where Adam is, both Valerie and Doug said that he was taken away by the state because of his behavior. And as children, they didn't really know any better and they didn't know to question that. Adam had a biological sister that used to call and check on him occasionally. Beginning in 1999, the Hermans would tell her that Adam was not home and eventually would tell her to stop calling and leave them alone altogether. In December of 1999, Valerie was fired as park manager of Pine Ridge Mobile Home Park and the family moved away out of Tawanda, Kansas. In 2002, the Hermans filed for bankruptcy and Adam was listed as a dependent on their paperwork. It's also worth noting that they received an adoption supplement payment for Adam in the amount of $700 per month. They would receive this until Adam turned 18. In 2003, Valerie and Doug filed for divorce and Adam was again listed in their divorce paperwork. That divorce, however, would eventually be dropped. In 2008, one of Adam's sisters, Crystal, wanted to plan a family reunion and started looking to get everyone together. She knew that years ago, Valerie and Doug had told her that Adam was a ward of the state now, so she contacted Child Services in Kansas to get his contact information. What they told her, however, would make her heart sink. They told her Adam was never back in their custody during any time, and according to their records, he had remained with the Herman family. Crystal knew something was very wrong and called the police. Police acted very quickly to open a missing persons investigation, although from the beginning, they feared the worst. And I do have to say, law enforcement came out gangbusters on this one right away, and I'm so glad. They took it seriously from the get-go. Adam deserves to have people fighting for him. Of course, they begin by interviewing Valerie and Doug, and right away, investigators are uneasy with their stories. They claimed that Adam had run away, that Valerie had seen him run out the door, but because he had done this so many times, she just figured he'd be back. When he didn't return, Valerie said that she didn't report it because she was scared that CPS would come and remove her other children from the home. So she told the kids that Adam was with the state so that they wouldn't worry about him, and she told investigators that she herself believed that he had run away and probably found his way back to his biological family. What law enforcement was able to do was confirm that Adam had not been seen by someone outside of the immediate family since January of 1999, the day of the Super Bowl, in fact, when he was seen handcuffed to the bathtub. Stories would come out from the siblings of abuse in the home. However, it was Adam receiving most of the abuse. The other children told stories of trying to sneak him food as he was often locked in the bathroom and the other children would feel bad for him. The other siblings also said that it was always Valerie that would beat Adam. They never once saw Doug do anything. 
Investigators also learn that the Hermans had continued to collect that $700 a month for Adam's subsidies, and they continued to claim him on their tax returns every year. On January 5th, the Butler County Sheriff held a press conference with pleas to the public for any information on Adam. While the sheriff has also said he does unfortunately believe that Adam is probably deceased without any evidence, they just cannot be 100% sure. On January 7th, they searched the former mobile home that the family lived in back in 1999. And following up on a tip, they also searched the Whitewater River area, bringing in search dogs and penetrating radar equipment. On January 14th, they went as far as to excavate the mobile home lot. The family had allegedly built a shed in 1999 on the property, and there were rumors that Doug had built that shed as a cover-up or to cover up Adam's body. On January 20th, they searched the river area once more. And while we don't know exactly what was found during all of those searches, we know there was no Adam found, but the sheriff did say they were able to recover some evidence that answered some questions for them. They have not, however, told the public what that is. In June of 2011, the Hermans admitted to wrongfully accepting over $15,000 in subsidies for Adam. Doug was sentenced to nine months in prison and Valerie to seven months. They were ordered to pay restitution and a $2,500 fine each and be subject to probation after their release. I don't have all the court documents in that case to go into more detail. I do think it's interesting that Doug received a different sentence than Valerie. But again, without having all of the documents to look at and know the charges and what transpired during that case, we can only speculate. Law enforcement would continue to work this case, although leads were slim to none. The sheriff took it personal and went to the media as often as he could to try to keep this case in the spotlight. They located Adam's biological parents living in Oklahoma and obtained DNA samples from them in the event that they would need to identify Adam in the future. Adam's biological mom has never publicly spoken out, but the father has. And what he has to say and what the public has to say resonates throughout the community. According to him, if Adam had not been removed from their care, he would be alive today. At the time they removed the children, there was one bruise discovered on the older child and both parents admitted to spanking their kids at that time for punishment, so all three kids were put into the foster care system immediately. What's a little bit hypocritical here is when bruises were discovered on Adam while he was in foster care, they basically told Valerie not to do that again, and she was able to continue fostering the kids and eventually adopting them, even with repeated suspicions of abuse. So in the eyes of the law, what makes it a better decision to remove the children? It seems it's a system so desperate for foster care families that they can often get away with a lot more than a biological parent, which seems backwards. We remove children from a possibly bad situation that could maybe be fixed with some help, counseling, resources, etc., and we put them into a home with even more abuse that we then turn a blind eye to? This case mirrors the case of Jalik Rainwalker so much. 
And if you aren't familiar with Jalik's case, I encourage you to look him up. We covered him on both the podcast and on YouTube, and that poor boy's eyes will stay with you forever. Child Protective Services is a flawed system, and I'm not blaming CPS workers, because in many cases, CPS is a victim of severe understaffing and underfunding, but it's a catch-22. The system is seen as flawed and lacks trust with the public, so no one wants to fund the programs. And as the public, we seem to want to blame CPS when they don't remove kids from homes we feel they should, and then we turn around and blame them when they do, such as kind of what was happening in this case. So it's a tough situation, and I don't know what the answers are, but cases like this are why we need a complete overhaul of our child protective services in this country. The police would continue to speak with Valerie and Doug, and they never let the investigation get cold. Even on the Butler County Sheriff Department Facebook page, you can see that they wish Adam a happy birthday every year on June 8th. So wonderful to see a department and a sheriff that cares so much about this case. Deputies repeatedly said that there will be a break in the case when someone speaks up or when something is finally found. They were hoping Doug would crack and eventually confess something to them or give them something he never did. And in 2016, Doug Herman passed away. Valerie, at one point, was very briefly interviewed by a reporter. And what she had to say was interesting. So take a listen at what she said to this Kansas reporter. You saw him run out your door. Yes. And you said your last words will stick in your mind forever. Why? Because when he said he was running away and he wasn't coming back, I told him, well, good. But I was upset. And we say mean things when we get mad sometimes, you know, things that are hurtful and you don't mean. When I think back now how terrible that was, you know, at the time, all I could think about was losing our three kids. And just to refresh people's memory, your, your side of the story is that he ran away and just did not return. That that was the last time you saw him out yes. that door in Tawanda. Right. Did you look for him that day and that yeah. night? Yeah. Well, uh, my husband and I and the kids looked. Joanna and Daniel went with us. We drove around Tawanda. We drove up to the convenience store, and I said... When he ran away, did you... Was there anyone outside of the family that you notified that he had run away? No. No. Do you regret that? Oh, yeah. What if I were to tell the sheriff that you would talk to him now, would you? With an attorney, I would. With an attorney. Because I don't trust him. I'm sorry. He's already got us guilty. You know, we want closure on this case. We want to find the remains of Adam Herman. And uh, I think she knows the answers that we need. Do you want to tell Adam? He'll make me cry. Um, please call me. I really miss him a lot. I want him to call and let us know where he's at or if he's all right. Just, just, one, just a phone call. That's all I'm asking. Or somebody to let me know where he's at. This case would take a very interesting turn in February of 2020 when a young man took to Twitter and YouTube claiming to be Adam Herman. He had quite a story to tell and was actually living in Kansas. 
His tale was actually kind of believable. He knew a lot of details about the case, and it began to get the attention of the public and eventually law enforcement and the media. I'm going to play a clip of his statement that he made on YouTube and what he had to say about him being Adam Herman. My name is Adam Herman. I was kidnapped in 1999 or labeled as missing in 1999. Um, my foster parents, Valerie, being the most important from what she uh, did to me during the time, um, didn't report me, but they also, I did not run away. I was transferred to another family. It was the Smith family in El Dorado. Um, Tamara and Jeremy Smith masqueraded as my grandmother and father, respectively. Um, I'm going to show my face. We're going to talk for a moment here. And the main reason that I'm doing that is because um, I've come to understand the complexities of this related to the Catholic diocese and the Catholic Church. And those have already been actively reported. Um, I'll be honest, I have, I have feared for my safety during this process. I've been a man enslaved by this system for my entire life. Um, it has profited off of me under various names and with help of various organizations. And I think this is going to be a, a national case and a very political one. And so I would like this to be known now. That way I can uh, come to understand who I am in a very valid and real way to the world because that is what's necessary for me to actually get out of here. This is not the first time I've tried to seek help within the systems that I'm supposed to in the state of Kansas, uh, especially within Butler County, Kansas, and especially within the city of El Dorado, where I was um, made captive for a long number of years. Um, I've experienced torture on levels that I honestly um, don't have a quantifiable way to describe to other people. Uh, I've been a trafficking victim my entire life. Uh, I have suspicion that Jerry George, who is uh, my real mother, I was born uh, Irving Groninger III, which is kind of the name. <laughs> I'm a lot older than I want to be. I was lied to within the system for a long, long, long time. Uh, I thought I was 24 until recently. My documentation and everything solidifies um, that for the purpose of my trafficking. Whoa, right? pretty intense and he actually goes on to speak for several minutes knows a lot of facts about the case and the people involved and a lot of people believed him right away in fact on youtube he does show his face and i can see how you could make an argument that there's a resemblance to young adam to this older version the family was really torn they had for so many years believed that Adam was dead. So could this guy really be Adam? Law enforcement did reach out to him right away and he voluntarily submitted to give some DNA. Although, as soon as the local sheriff got involved, the story was debunked right away. The young man telling this tale was actually a former employee at the local correctional facility, and the sheriff knew not only him, but his entire family. 
The man was also legitimately several years younger than Adam Herman would have been, and so this theory was quickly dismissed. And tragically, this young man who put this out there to the world must have had so many of his own demons that he was dealing with, as a month later, March of 2020, he committed suicide. Now here we are, present day, August of 2021, and still no definitive answers as to where Adam Herman is. And as for theories, well, we have theory number one, Adam ran away. This is what Valerie says. He did have a history of running away, but I don't know that anyone actually believes this. And if this were true, where did he go and where is he now? Theory number two, the parents, Valerie and Doug, did something to Adam. But with Doug gone now, the answers lie solely within Valerie. And I can't help but think of those older children that lived in the home when Adam disappeared, how this must haunt them to this day, how they must try and think about what they might have seen or witnessed or overheard so many years ago. And they probably have a lot of memories that I can imagine would be pretty haunting to think about, especially to this day. This was a child that was growing up with you in your family as a brother. So what do you think happened to Adam Joseph Herman? Do you think we will ever have answers? Adam was last seen in 1999. He was 11 or 12 years old. Adam Herman is a Caucasian male with brown hair and blue eyes and was last known to be wearing wire-rimmed gold glasses. He has a birthmark on his back at his waistline and numerous scars on his abdomen and a three-quarter inch scar on the inside of his left thigh. If you have any information as to the whereabouts of Adam Joseph Herman or anything at all regarding his case, please contact the Butler County Sheriff's Department at 316-322-4254. I really think this case is important to talk about for a few different reasons. Adam was a young 11-year-old preteen boy who likely never had a chance to play sports, go to high school, drive a car, get married, just live his life. And for his disappearance to go unreported for so long is so tragic. Another reason this case needs attention, we need to do something about the system and how we care for our kids. This needs to be talked about. People need to know what is going on out there. And I really want to commend the Butler County Sheriff's Department who have treated this case with urgency, seriousness, and compassion from the very beginning. They've done a fantastic job. They've really worked to keep the case out there as much as they can, even though it's an older case. They still want to solve this case and bring resolution to the family. So please share Adam's story. Let's get it heard. Let's get people talking. Thank you so much for listening to Adam's story today. 
We will be back again next week with another episode of Where Are They? And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones. 